0: Y'all know me. Know how I earn a living. I'll catch this bird for you, but it ain't gonna be easy. Bad fish. Not like going down to the pond chasing bluegills or tommy cods. This shark, swallow you whole. A little shaking, little tenderizing, down you go. We gotta do it quick. That'll bring back your tourists, put all your businesses on a paying basis. But it's not gonna be pleasant. I value my neck a lot more than 3,000 bucks, Chief. I'll find him for three, but I'll catch him, and kill him, for ten. But you gotta make up your minds, if you wanna stay alive, then ante up. If you wanna play it cheap, be on well for the whole winter, I don't want no volunteers, I don't want no mates, there's too many captains on this island. Ten thousand dollars for me by myself, for that you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. Welcome to Episode 5 of The Viewer's Cut. My name is Adam Galloway and I will be your moderator for this episode in which we will praise and discuss arguably one of the greatest and most popular films ever made. Not only did this film launch a new cultural phenomenon known as the summer blockbuster, it also launched the career of a legendary filmmaker. So to all of the viewers tuning in, sit back and relax as we travel back in time to revisit and celebrate the 45th anniversary of Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film, Jaws. With me, as always, are my loyal partners in crime and co-hosts, Chief Brody, Matt Hooper, and everyone's favorite shark hunter, Quint. Say hi, everyone.
1: You're gonna need a bigger boat. Hey, that's some (laughs) bad hat, Harry.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you guys get to pick which characters you are, whichever you guys ones, whichever ones you like. Um,
1: I already picked Chief Brody. I'll be Queen. Well, what does that leave me with? Um, the other one. The other Richard one. Richard Dreyfus. Hey.
0: <laughs> you you die in the book and you survive in the film, so you get kind of Great. best of both worlds.
2: And I get to be
0: in the sequel. <laughs>
1: Adam is the shark.
0: Uh, but anyway, so uh, before we begin, I just want to give a, or I just want to do a quick rundown of the history of this film, because the uh, the making of Jaws is almost as popular as the film itself. And it's a personal favorite film of mine. Uh, I grew up with this movie. I saw it when I was five years old. I watched it with my with my parents and I've loved it ever since I was a kid. So I just kind of want to give a quick rundown, like I said. So it's uh, it's based on the best-selling book by Peter Benchley. And originally, the producers had another director lined up for the project. But early on, he was fired because he uh, wanted to make a movie about a whale. Uh, with the director's... <laughs> it's true. That's, it's, it's true. He, he wanted to make a movie about a whale. He, in production meetings, he kept referring to the shark as a whale. So the producers eventually let him go. And with the director's chair empty, they turned their attention to a young, aspiring filmmaker. Steven Spielberg was hot off his theatrical debut of the Sugarland Express... And one of his first orders of business was to push for the film to be shot on the Atlantic Ocean, rather than in a controlled studio water tank. Once production moved to the ocean, they were continuously plagued with issues. The original budget doubled, ultimately costing an estimated $9 million. The production schedule tripled, finally wrapping after an exhausting 159. million. Day shoot. jesus the unpredictable nature of the weather and water was obviously an issue as well but the biggest problem they faced was the mechanical shark they built bruce named after spielberg's lawyer <laughs> the mechanics of the shark continued to malfunction mainly due to the salt water in the ocean a common phrase the cast and crew members heard throughout the day on set was the shark is not working they heard it continuously every day a couple times a day sometimes This forced Spielberg and his creative team to come up with alternative ways to shoot the film, which ultimately led to not showing the shark for most of the film, contrary to what they planned. What seemed like a disaster while filming ended up becoming a true blessing in disguise, as not seeing the shark gave Jaws a unique Hitchcock style of terror. From there, you add in a chilling original score by John Williams groundbreaking cinematography by Bill Butler and memorable performances from Richard Dreyfuss and the late Roy Scheider and Robert Shaw. Together, all of these elements gave birth to a thrilling adventure on the big screen that made countless viewers think twice about going into the water. So that's my rant. I want to stop there and I want to pass everything over to my co-host. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> And I want to get this conversation going. We're gonna start with uh, Jaws, and then we're gonna move over to to Steven Spielberg. But um, I wanted to start off with Bruce because I think it is an important piece to this movie. He's and, here. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Not even the shark. I actually have Steven Spielberg's lawyer on the line. <laughs> but no, I want to get everyone's thoughts on the portrayal of this uh, of the shark in the original Jaws because I defend this shark uh, and I'll keep defending it to my grave for like 80 to 90% of the movie. Like I'm convinced it is a real shark. Just it, the way they shot it, some of the, like, obviously it's not in the movie very much in the first and second act, but just the way they used uh, utilized it. And like, I'm convinced and it's better than any CGI shark I have ever seen. Like my entire life, every movie I've seen up until now. So I want to, I want to get your thoughts on, on Bruce. And, uh, I want to know if you guys have seen a more convincing shark portrayal in a movie. So I'm going to throw it over to uh, Ryan to kickstart it. So uh, take it away, Ryan.
3: Uh, All right. Uh, I agree. It's a really well done shark. And I don't think I've ever seen any uh, better shark in cinema. Uh, I think it's the practical effects of it. Uh, I feel like that's why uh, uh, Jurassic Park uh, stands uh, very well today because they used a lot of practical with a mix of CGI. But... Um, yeah, I remember that shark scaring the crap out of me as a kid, and it still does. So, uh, yeah, Bruce, very convincing.
0: (laughs) It's so different what you know he had a name. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: (laughs) I feel like I know him very well now. Actually, that actually reminds me. I think the best CGI shark that I know, and his name is also Bruce, which he probably got the name from this, is uh, the shark (laughs) in Finding Nemo. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. So I would say that's the best CGI shark I've seen in
1: uh, in (laughs) other cinema. What about you, Mauricio? Um, Well, um, I was trying to think in many movies with sharks, but many of the movies that had a shark as the main topic, they're not that good, except because (laughs) of jobs. Sharknado 3 was great. Sharknado, Mm -hmm. uh, Deep Blue, whatever. It's it's just too weird. (laughs) Um, I do feel... I deep mean, blue, I, yeah, I want to
0: see the cut of that movie, Deep Blue Whatever.
1: Kind of a, I don't know, anecdote just to prove how effective that shark could be. I remember watching the movie as a kid and I was terrified about it because, well, I mean, it's a giant shark eating people, including a kid at the beginning of the movie. And uh, the anecdote is that I went to Disney World in Orlando with my family and they have the Jaws uh, ride where you're in a boat and then something explodes in the water and then the mechanical shard just comes out of the water. And I was sitting, I think I was five or six years old, and I was sitting on the side of the boat where the mechanical thing just pops up with flames on his mouth and just tried to destroy the boat. And I remember just being there, that thing came up and I just jumped all the other way to the other side of the boat to trying to find my dad and it turned out to be uh, another tourist that I never knew uh, but he never <laughs> let me go, which I highly <laughs> appreciate. Thank you. Just to say that even though sometimes, yeah, it doesn't look fully convincing, the fact that it's there and you can see the actors on the boat and everything else interacting with it, it made it very real and it made it terrifying for me as a kid. And still as an adult, when you get on the water, you're like, eh.
0: uh, I believe that ride is no longer there anymore. I would have loved to have, uh, yeah. have taken part on that ride.
1: Yeah, it, it was great. Terrifying. For a kid but it was phenomenal
0: what about uh mr dodd i want to know some thoughts from dodd <laughs> well of
2: course i always have to be the contrarian
0: um, <laughs> i
2: i actually wanted to put some thought into this question uh when you, when you sent this to us to think about and um it's funny it's like a long-standing joke i think that the shark quote looks fake right like they make fun of it in back to the future uh two I think the shot of the the mechanical shark jumping out of the water, and you can tell that they use it very very briefly, where it's like the full body of the shark is almost out of the water and it's yeah. landing on the boat. In
0: the wide shot, yeah, yeah. it's a wide shot.
2: Um, I, I think it's pretty questionable in that shot, which is, but I think they knew that, you know what I mean? And that's why I think they showed it so yeah. uh, so briefly. But I I do agree with what uh, Ryan and Mauricio have said. And that I do think it looks good. I do think it's shot well, and it's believable. Now, I, what my answer that I thought of was, I think there's a difference between. It's not just does something look fake or not. There's a difference between fake that you notice and fake that you don't. Um, yeah. Like fake. That you notice is obvious, you know, when you watch a movie and you go, "Ah, that looks terrible, like a Sharknado or something like that," right? Where they just they, they don't care, and you can tell it looks bad. But there are things that don't necessarily look real, but they're portrayed or shot in a way that um, we don't care that they don't look real. Like, for instance, my my most extreme example is Kermit the Frog. Kermit the Frog does not look <laughs> like a real frog. Um, <laughs> but we don't care because the, the the world that he's in treats him as if he's a real thing so we watch him and we go yeah we just accept him as a character if you don't like that example yeah, in yeah, other yeah. movies um with puppets there's Yoda again i does Yoda actually look like it's a real living slimy thing with like facial expressions and does the mouth articulate and are the yeah. no it doesn't but it's totally—we we totally buy it. We totally believe it because there's enough of a performance there and an expression uh, that we get it. Same thing with *Job of the Hutt. Same thing with basically all of the Gremlins in the movie *Gremlins*. Again, they, they don't look—they look like puppets, but we don't care. And I think that's what uh, Bruce the Shark is. It, it, if you put it up against footage of a real shark, you're probably going to see that it doesn't look right. But it's filmed well enough and in interacts with things well enough that uh, we buy it and we don't we don't notice that it looks fake.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. You do just comparing it to a real shark. Like you get that in the third act underwater when Hooper's down in the cage. Like they they mixed in with real footage from shark shot in Australia and you could totally tell. Like uh, we were, when, when uh, Jamie and I were watching it, we were laughing because the biggest thing when you really dissect it is the the fake shark just swims like straight. <laughs> he's not even going side to side. It's just going, cause he's on a crane. Right. And you can notice when it cuts to the real shark, like obviously. So I, I like the way you said it, Dodd, because it's totally true. I think the, the, the key word is convincing where I think they did a good job in the film where they don't show it nearly at all in the first uh, act, barely in the second act. And by the time you get to the third act, when it becomes sensational, you're so into this movie and you, will believe whatever is thrown at you, that you're terrified of the shark. When it jumps onto the boat, you're like, holy shit. Yeah. All right. So that, that's a real, that's a real shark. And what I like about it, my biggest defense for it is, uh, spoiler alert, for whoever hasn't Uh-oh. seen Jaws, when, uh, when, when Quint <laughs> dies, like, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's fake, but I mean, he's in the mouth of a shark. Like I, I will take that over anything. Uh, computer generated like because he's physically in the shark and he, he gets pulled into the water with the shark like I love the last shot when he's pulled yep. into the water and I think the most convincing scene in the movie is the I believe it would be the third death of the movie I don't know if Gardner Ben Gardner was dead yet but when the the guy on the little rowboat gets taken when he's helping the kids uh who are out in the in the pond on their boat in the pond in the pond, yeah, the The shot of the shark, the first one when you barely see, like, you see just the outline, and then he starts screaming, and you have the one quick shot of him being pulled under, like, that is, that looks like a real shark to me, like, and, and like, that's all we have, that was the first time we see it in the movie, so I think we're all on the on the same page there where um, we all were scared of the movie, and uh, or the shark in the movie, and I like the way Dodd said that too, where I think it's convincing, we know it's fake, but we believe it, we buy it, and we, it, it's it's done well enough. A lot of it comes down to the editing too. Did anyone else have any other thoughts about Bruce? that they'd like to share.
1: Kind of with what you just said, like thinking on the dead in, in the movie. I think for me, the more following the idea of not seeing the shark too much, but just seeing enough, the most convincing and terrifying for me was the kid, uh, because oh you just God. see just you the just see the fight in the water and some like pieces of the shark. Coming out of the water, blood—the the floaty thing where he was is just completely destroyed. That was for me the most terrifying, and it's from the distance. Yeah, oh, it, it's, it's, it's it's perfect. It's, it's awful uh, in a good way and for the movie. And there's so much blood, so much. It's just it's just yeah, like a fountain a of-, of blood. Yeah, he cut <laughs> the kid in two, baby. Nothing left. Yeah. And about when Bruce, <laughs> the shark, kills Quinn at the end, when what you were saying, I think what it was also terrifying. With the the fact that the shark was there, or the mechanical shark was there, is the like you're seeing someone being turned apart by a machine, even if you don't believe it's a real shark. And the idea of someone being turned into pieces by a mechanical thing, it's equally scary in a way to being killed by a shark, which at the end of the day is like a, a yeah. nature machine. It was it just mm. it just feels like someone is just being destroyed by a chainsaw and it's it's painful to. See. You don't even want to look at it.
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> Mauricio, I think you have to. Uh, you got to write an essay or a video blog or something about the shark in Jaws representing nature's machine, and the comparisons between uh, a killer robot and a killer shark. I think that's great. I've never heard anyone make that comparison
1: before. Oh well, thank you. You're sitting <laughs> on a
2: gold mine, friend.
1: <laughs> we won't release this podcast. You're gonna be. You're gonna yeah, be famous, Mauricio. We won't Mauricio. release this episode until I get my essay out there.
0: <laughs> we uh, we never we never saw Mauricio again. He hit it big and
1: uh, <laughs> he's he- gone.
0: I didn't send you guys this question. I'm just really curious. It's, it'll be a quick answer from all of you, but because uh, we're all different ages, and I'm just kind of curious. Uh, d- when do you re- do you guys remember the first time you saw Jaws and how old you were? Where where it was? Do you guys remember?
1: Uh, I'm gonna say because it was close to the time I went to the Disney World. I would say five years old, maybe four, but I don't remember five.
2: Yeah,
0: Whoa.
3: Uh, Yeah. I'm about the same spot, about 5, 6.
0: Holy cow. Yeah, I was 5. You guys were all 5?
1: That's why we are like we are.
0: Don watched it for the first time last week. I was 31. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
2: I was much later than you guys. I, uh, well, there's a reason, and I'll get into that later. But uh, I was probably into my teens, I think. I was 12 or 13. Wow. Yeah.
0: So I think it's safe to say that we all like the film. And I'm just curious, um, and this is going to lead to an even bigger question. But uh, so it's obviously the 45th anniversary of Jaws this year. It was released in, I think it was June 20th, uh, 1975. Do you think Jaws will still be great in another 45 years? And uh, just to add a second part to that question, do you believe, uh, like each of you, do you guys believe um, that classic cinema can and will... Or won't stand the test of time. Uh, let's start with uh, Let's start with Dodd on this one.
2: Well, uh, I think in order to answer part one of that question, I would be inadvertently answering part two at the same time. So, uh, to me, the answer, yeah, it's a very obvious uh, yes. It will stand the test of time, and that's why I think uh, Jaws does because I think there are just certain uh, movie tropes or movie techniques or movies are able to hit certain emotional chords with people that, uh, like we're not, we're not changing as a species that much over time, or at least not that quickly that these themes are still going to be relevant. People have been afraid of predators for as long as there have been people, right? That's, that's just built in, structured into our, into our coding. Basic instincts. Um, Another classic. Um, I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. Thank you. Thank you for chiming in. Yeah, that, that one's good too. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the, the obvious answer is to talk about the horror techniques and how it taps into humans' primal fears about uh, being stalked and being hunted and being eaten. Um, but I think, you know, I won't dwell on that. I think um, th- there's just really natural human qualities in that you know my favorite scenes in Jaws don't even involve the shark it's just I love the opening scene just the family in the house you know Chief Brody's uh, gets the phone call and he answers the wrong phone you know because he's got two two phones because he's the police chief and the, the kids are talking in the background and he's trying to hear what the guy on the phone is saying just just that really natural uh family stuff that after 45 years is, is still uh relevant Today, so absolutely, unless we somehow all evolve into like cyborgs or something like that, where we 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 no longer resemble anything of what we used to as humans, then uh, I think cinema will stand up the test of time. And uh, you know, it's funny, cinema is only like a hundred years old or so, right? So we don't really know in the long run what things are going to do. But um, certainly, there are classics from the early days of cinema. You know, you've heard of The Wizard of Oz. You've heard of Gone with the Wind. You've heard of Um, Casablanca these movies all stand up so I don't see them going anywhere anytime soon what about you Ryan
3: Uh, I'd have to agree with Dot on everything I don't think uh, classic cinema is going anywhere Uh, once again I think this uh, relates to our last podcast they're uh, products of their time and uh, little capsules Um, but I guess there could be a a generation ahead of us that uh, might be very ignorant maybe they will be like, oh, I don't kind of like how some people won't watch a black and white film or something that's uh, not a talkie. Uh, there could be those people who are just like, ah, oh, Jaws is so old. That shark looks so fake. There could be that. But I doubt it will
1: really affect the uh, avid movie goer.
0: Right on. And what about, uh, what about Mauricio?
1: Well, I think it could. I like what Dodd said. Like, It's probably the uh, newest of all the arts. That's what cinema is. And, uh, but still, till this day, we listen to Mozart, Beethoven, which, and music is one of the oldest of the arts. And uh, I feel like when something is good and deserves some respect for uh, setting up the ground for what comes next, uh, it survives uh, the test of time. And the same way I am still get excited to watch a, a Chaplin movie whether if I like, uh, I'm like, a cinema addict or not, it's something that, uh, you know, it takes you to the root of how things used to be. I like it to look at it that way, that even generations will have uh, to appreciate what things come from. And I like someone said, like, everything has been done. We just have different versions of the same things. So in one point, you're going to find yourself doing references to old classics and people will want to go back to check where this thing came from. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure Joe's going to be still around and classics are never going to die. Classic is under name.
0: I love it.
2: I wonder, I I wonder though, and Adam, you can answer this one if you want, since you haven't really had a chance to answer or be asked too many questions yourself here. I wonder uh, just on the flip side of what we all just said, um, as, as generations go forward and go forward, who's going to be keeping these things alive? Because I would argue that, jo- say, Jaws, for example, or that era of movies is fresh enough that, um, like, I was sort of born into the tail end of that m- movie generation. I think uh, certainly my, my parents remember it really well, as your guys' parents probably do. So we're maybe only one generation away from when these movies came out and were really popular. So I wonder, like, are we just going to keep passing it on? And kind of to Ryan's point, are are our kids going to have any interest in Jaws? And then will will their kids, our grandkids have any? Like, you know what I mean? Or does it need to have somebody being a supporter or somebody still being enthusiastic about it because they're nostalgic about it? I don't know too many kids running to see Casablanca, even though I just, you know, I acknowledge it's someone's preserving it as a classic film but who's 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 actually watching it i don't know i don't know
0: well i think it's safe to say that just from like from a film standpoint like film school and all this kind of stuff like these movies are going to be around forever like in my film program in thunder bay we went back to the the 20s or the 30s i forget where we started and we watched a movie from every decade and i think Just from like you have your young filmmakers now who grew up idolizing these old older filmmakers, like Spielberg's still alive, Scorsese's still alive, they're all still around. So I think to go along with your question, is like forty years after they're gone, are is is the the general public going to care? And I'm nervous that they're not going to. Like it once like for me, for example, once I'm gone and my kids have their kids. Like the only way these are going to continue is if they keep getting passed down. If each generation passes down the films from their childhood and their adulthood that had an impact on them, if people can continue to pass them down, hopefully they can. I hope Jaws doesn't go anywhere. I hope Hitchcock films don't go anywhere. But I mean, like you talk to a lot of people they haven't seen or heard of some Hitchcock movies. Like they've heard of the Staples, obviously, but and you can do the same thing with Kubrick and Scorsese. I think it goes along with all of them. I think it's up to us as the viewers to keep these movies alive because two generations from now aren't going to care about a movie with a mechanical shark unless maybe they're in film school or have a specific reason they love sharks or they love something. I don't know. Unless they have a direct uh, like reason for wanting to watch it, I think it'll be tough. And I don't really have an answer. That's really all I can do. I know for me... Personally, I'm gonna pass down a shitload of movies, <laughs> and it's just the way oh, I, and yeah. I. I hope a lot of people do. Rocky and one, thing, like Rocky Ryan, two, uh, three, all <laughs> of the, all all eight, Rocky all eight fifteen. Of them. But like I know, it. I I'll pass this back to Ryan and Mauricio. But I just wanted to end with this because I know like, we all like music, but I know Ryan and Mauricio were very passionate with music, and I feel that you guys will definitely be passing down a lot of music to your. Uh, your kids and grandkids and all that, all the them, like, it's the same thing. All uh, It's, you know, like it's, it goes with a lot of different types of art, you know? So uh, what are your guys' thoughts on, uh, on Dodd's question there?
3: Uh, well, you said it was up to the viewers, but I would say it's up to the filmmakers. And I think uh, this has kind of happened a lot more recently. Uh, the throwback, the nostalgia, the, uh, the homages to great directors, uh, you will see, like scenes from Spielberg and uh, Scorsese, Kubrick, all redone in today's cinema, in today's movies. And I think it's just like a big game of telephone that filmmakers are playing. They're just like taking the original, like the the template of uh, the blockbuster that Jaws set, it has been echoed throughout the history. And I think that's why it will stand the test of time because you'll be able to find like a map to like go all the way back to Jaws at the original. And even Jaws has taken things from many directors that inspired Spielberg. So I think there'll be that little roadmap that viewers in the future will be able to kind of go back to.
0: Oh yeah. I, I agree with you. It's going to be there. Filmmakers will continue to do that for sure. It's not the, the filmmakers and the people going to film school and all those that I'm worried about. It's, it's the way the generations have been going with there's, with technology and there's just so much more now to do and there's so much content there's like tv shows will the
3: audience of uh, the future know what it is maybe not but there will be the past that's
0: what that's that's where i was getting i agree with everything you said for sure and i know it will be there filmmakers will be studying hitchcock spielberg uh kubrick like they'll all be studied i'm not that, that's that's a given. It's going to be the people that don't care. Even if the filmmakers are presenting and they're coming back to Galaxy and they're doing their classic film nights, people still need to go. And I hope they do.
1: But I think a big factor to make that happening when it's not a filmmaker, it's the factor of curiosity. Uh, the, the idea that someone actually... Um, and I know probably we're seeing it like a small group of people in this whole world. But I think worldwide, there's always like a big uh, curiosity to explore the arts, one or the other. Like, people are still going to museums to see a painting from th- who knows how old uh, to the Mona Lisa with a hat. Um, so <laughs> people, are st- people are still uh, craving for that. Uh, something that at least I, ex- I experience a lot here in Toronto is that we have a lot of retro nights when we're gonna watch an old movie followed by a, by a new one or just um, a week about a director.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's safe to say all four of us are are optimistic yeah. and hopeful as well that it can continue because there's going to be a lot of great films fifty like in fifty years from now that are hundred years old. Yeah. That they you just you have to for see sure. like that are fifty years old to us. And I think we're all in agreement uh with that. Um did anyone else have any more thoughts on uh on on classic cinema?
1: <laughs> I mean I, I think the four of us could talk for hours about it.
2: Yeah. That's yes.
1: True.
0: Yes.
2: I think if you look at Star Wars, that's uh, companies' attempts to n- like never let it die, right? They're gonna be like, nope, like we're n- no one's ever gonna forget about this because we're constantly gonna be making new Star Wars, new Star Wars. Um, whereas I think kind of like what we said, some other classics, yeah, they might fade away from being really popular or something that like l- new like new generations of little kids want to see, but that will always be kept around by. People like us who are like film, kind of like book clubs, might get together and read Moby Dick. Well, little kids aren't reading Moby Dick, but people are still keeping it around.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I agree. Well,
0: it's a good thing Jaws never had any uh, any terrible sequels. (laughs) So I wanna I wanna shift now to the man behind the camera, Mr. Steven Spielberg. I don't know uh, how familiar you guys are with uh, like what he experienced on set making Jaws. Uh, obviously, like I said earlier on, it was a very long shoot. It, I think it was originally supposed to be about 55-60 days, and it went to 159 days. Uh, he was uh, stressed. He, 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 he claims to still have nightmares to this day. He was overwhelmed uh, and... Um, He just had problem after problem after problem the shark wasn't working and the script was being redone every day and uh my main question uh for you guys is uh how much um how much of the success of jaws would you give to steven spielberg and i guess you can kind of go along with how much how much credit does a does a director deserve with a finished product because just before i jump uh or uh, jump over to you guys to answer uh, I, I broke it down to basically like you have performances, you have cinematography you have the, the aesthetic, the music. There there's lots of stuff that you know make a film what it is. But I'm just curious what your guys' thoughts are on uh, a director and filmmaking, and more importantly, Steven Spielberg somehow at 27, 28 years old pulling this off and it and creating the summer blockbuster like Jaws made 470 million dollars and it was just it. it Blew, blew everything else before it out of the water. So I'm just curious what your guys' thoughts are on that. Why don't you go first, uh, Mauricio?
1: I hate you. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I don't know. I, like you said, it was uh, Spielberg was a nobody, almost basically, and uh, I don't think his name had a big impact on the success of the film. I think the film had a, had an impact on his name, more than anything. First of all, um, filmmaking is it's a, it's not a one-person project, it's many people involved, and if one person ruins something, everything else go, goes, you know, gonna go wrong. Um, I feel like he was lucky, in a way, I mean, he's very talented, of course, nothing too impossible to, to say the opposite, but I feel he was lucky with the team he had for this film, because I'm pretty sure he was very frustrated, as we know, but he had a, a crew that came out with solutions, coming out with the look of things, the editor. The I think just just the trailer was a success with the music from John Williams. That's, that's huge. Um, that goes beyond Spielberg, in a way. And I think that's also very important. So, yeah, the director is extremely important to make something successful, especially after their name becomes... Important, everybody goes because of the director. They don't care about it. most of the things like Christopher Nolan, Quentin Tarantino, um, uh, Kubrick, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, in this case, good job, Mr. Spielberg. But this was a team effort that turned out, uh, I would say, by, because of luck, turned out phenomenal, and it's what it is now.
0: Yeah, I think any person that has had has had a great deal of success in any field would be able to admit that you know talent can only go so far, skill, knowledge. Everyone gets lucky. Yeah, everyone has some sort of luck that. What, what, I mean, there's lots of different examples of it, but uh, I do agree with you there. I think a lot of things did go his way. My biggest takeaway from it uh, is just his composure, because uh, he could have quit. Yeah, uh, the production could have been shut down. And somehow he powered through. And a big change that he made, just before I I jump over to Ryan here, um, a big change he made was in the book that had a very different ending to this movie. And he pushed and pushed and pushed to change and rewrite the ending, which eventually led to Peter Benchley getting kicked off the island because he didn't agree. And Spielberg was the one behind changing the ending to what we get which is one of the greatest endings of all time. It's exciting, it's exhilarating, it's it's everything. And it, it, that was just a big creative stance that he took that I think made a pretty big impact on the film. What are your thoughts, Ryan? Uh,
3: going back to your little history lesson that you gave us at the beginning of the episode, uh, it seems like uh, he, he it would have it been a disaster if the movie was actually about a whale. So uh, I think he did save <laughs> <Yeah>. the film <laughs> That's a fact. in that respect. <laughs> So yeah, I guess in that respect, he, he saved the film. And I'm sure the producers uh, were thinking because of how, how much this uh, production went into overtime, they were probably thinking they made a bad mistake with Spielberg. But um, especially with him uh, advocating to shoot in the actual sea instead of on studio, I'm sure the producers were kicking themselves in the time and uh, were probably reluctant to keep throwing money at it. But uh, after it was released... Uh, well, actually, I think uh, the big success of it was because of a lot of the advertising that was around it.
1: Yes. Uh, yes. So uh,
3: they just kept throwing money at it, but I guess it, it just paid off uh, that respect. So I don't know. Uh, yeah. Like Mauricio said, like everyone knows, Spielberg wasn't too much then, and it was a team that like, brought it all together. But yeah, I guess if you throw enough money at something, it it could stick. Uh, I'm not going to say it's the case because,
1: you know, cats didn't do very well.
0: (laughs) It all comes back to cats. Always. That's
1: a real classic that everyone is going to be watching from now to 200 years. I'm actually excited to watch it (laughs) because I haven't seen it. And I know it's a disaster. Yeah, let's talk about cats. Let's talk about (laughs) different animals.
2: (laughs)
0: Sorry, Dodd, that's uh, that's all the time we have. We're going to about cats now. I, I, I
2: got lots to say about cats.
0: All right, well, every, everyone sit back. Uh, it's Dodd's turn now. So, uh, what, do you, what do you got for us, Dodd?
2: Well, I didn't think cats was as bad as everyone said it was. Uh, oh, we're still talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was the question? <laughs> um,
0: it was a very long winded question.
2: Yeah. Do I think Spielberg's good? Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I. I Essentially, I was asking uh, the importance of a director, how much impact of the success of Jaws should fall on a young Steven Spielberg and uh, essentially did he did he save the film? Yeah I think, he...
2: I think it's a it's a tricky question to ask because um, had it be somebody else had it been somebody else making that movie, maybe not uh, Dick Wanker or whatever his name was I think that <laughs> <Jesus. laughs> um, you know had it been let's, I don't know, David Lynch or something, right? Or, or then we would have had David Lynch's Jaws. Uh, what would that have been like? Would that have been good? Yeah, maybe. Maybe that would have been something totally off the wall and, and a different type of classic. So had someone else tried to make Steven Spielberg's Jaws, then I, I have no doubt it would have been a, a, um, a failure. Um, but Spielberg is incredible at what he does. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the stuff he's been making in the last like twenty years, but the twenty years before that, I think that he was absolutely on fire. Like he he owned the late seventies, the nineteen eighties, and the early nineties. Like he just was the guy to beat. Like um, so for sure. Like stuff. You know, you said at the beginning when you were talking about the production of Jaws, would some other director have just filmed it in a in a tank on the Universal backlot? probably right did was it spielberg who said no we've got to go out to the actual ocean we have to be in real boats i don't know how much that was him how much that was the producer how much uh, producers but that's the stuff that makes that movie great right it's authenticity uh you're on a beach you when there's scenes on a beach you feel like you're on a beach when there's scenes on a boat you feel like you're on a boat when there's characters in the water you know, he, he, he was the one I think who said, put that camera at water level, you know, because that's what you see when you're in the water. And sometimes the water comes up over the lens. And just like you're a person bobbing up and down in the water, just like you do in real life. So I, I attribute, I don't know how much of it was the cinematographer or whatever, but I attribute that to, to his vision. And as I said earlier, he's the king of, of nuance and he's the king of, of small moments that, um, you don't know that you notice, but your brain notices it and, uh, and makes it something really relatable.
0: Yeah. Just to touch on the cinematography, uh, you were exactly right. That's exactly what he wanted. And then Bill Butler, the cinematographer designed the box that they used where you're right on the water level. So a little bit of the cameras underneath mm-hmm. the water, a little bit's above that was all, that was a, a vision uh, by Spielberg and, um, Bill Butler who had a terrific career uh he um he designed the box that it was used so there's just i think to uh, to just put a put a stamp on this i think art from adversity is is very key especially back in the, uh in the film industry then because two years later george lucas experienced a very similar production with star wars <laughs> and we all know we all know how that movie turned out so
1: sorry star star what
0: what what words, What <laughs> Star Trek? <laughs> Go back about th- three podcasts. <laughs> so I, I think I think it's a testament to to his uh, his drive and his and, and and Spielberg admits his his cockiness and his arrogance. Like he he didn't he let's shoot on the ocean. No, I want to shoot on the ocean. He didn't think. He just acted. He did what he thought. He went made decisions based on instinct, and it worked out. If this movie would have been shot on in a tank, the shark would have been seen. 90% of the movie and I, 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 there's no way, I can't say for a fact, but there's no way it could have been better. You would have had a B chart,
2: movie, right? You would have had a, a cheap... Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. Cheap yes, for sure. Movie. So we're going to carry on here with Mr. Spielberg. Now we're going to try to keep this question uh, limited because I think we could talk about this for three hours, but I want to get everyone's opinion. If you disagree with a statement I'm about to say, please let me know, but uh, I'm curious. Why do you, each, each of you, why do you guys believe Steven Spielberg will go down as one of the greatest filmmakers of all time? And like I said, if you disagree with that statement, I would really like to know why. Let's start with Ryan.
1: Thank God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I hate
3: starting and I hate ending too. Don't we all?
0: <laughs> okay, would it make you guys feel better if I go first? Yeah, let's do that. Yes. No. So the, the way I look at it is, I, I, especially in like sports, and all this kind of stuff, when you think about the GOAT, the greatest of all time, you think, but... uh, I, I go to, yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so I go to uh, a Mount Rushmore of whatever you're talking about. Who, who are some fa- founding fathers, essentially? Who will go down as some of the greatest uh, of all time in their respective fields? And to me, I think he has to be on there. Whether you love him, whether you like him, whether you hate some of his films, love all of it, I mean, it doesn't matter. I think there are many reasons why, and I'm going to keep it nice and simple. He, especially in the time frame that Dodd just stated, I believe he's uh, late 70s to early 90s. I'd go even to the early 2000s. He was still making successful films. He's always around, he's always in play he's still showing up at the oscars now granted his movies aren't as good you know uh you know as as they were 20 years ago but he's kind of like meryl streep where he's the benchmark he's around he's what people get compared to he's what you're striving towards he has been around um for i mean if you count his earlier stuff 50 years He's made successful films, some of the greatest films of the decade for over 40 years, let's say 30 just to be safe because I don't really know the last 10 years. Commercially, he's been a success. Critically, he's been a success. He's been a huge success towards pop culture. He's what a lot of filmmakers reference. People have, just for an example, I just thought of Chasing Amy, a great Kevin Smith movie. He, He recreates... The the, um, the sharing of stories of uh, scars that Quint and Hooper do. He does a whole scene about that at a bar. And it's so beautiful uh, of a scene. And it's just paying homage to the greatness of that moment in that movie. I think people are going to be referencing and talking about Spielberg forever. And in regards to the Mount Rushmore, I would put him up there with Hitchcock. I even think I would put... Uh, I'm kind of back and forth but I, I when I see Mount Rushmore I would say a, a Hitchcock um, maybe like a Cecil B DeMille I'm not I'm not as familiar with his work but I know he is had made a huge impact in, in film and uh, Spielberg and probably Kubrick or a Scorsese I'm not really sure I'd have to think more about that but that's what I think of when I think of greatest all- time someone that's always around that people are striving to, to either be or beat and he's just always in always in the question. He's always around. He's still making movies. He's working on West Side Story right now. I don't know if it'll be good, but he's still making movies. So that's kind of how I look at it where I think he will be because he's just made so many movies. Not even directing, he's written some movies. He's produced a shitload of movies. He doesn't even have to be behind the camera. And he's still making an impact. Like I believe back to the future begins with Steven Spielberg presents like he's just he's around he's present he's part of our childhood he's a part of many people's childhood and adulthood and he's just it's almost impossible to think not talking about him in 50 years it doesn't make any sense in my head but I could be wrong that's obviously just my uh, my opinion so that's kind of where I'll I'll, I'll end it there so that's kind of uh going so do you want to go to Dodd or Ryan or Marisa who wants to go first
2: by the way, who asked for a remake of West Side Story? Does anybody want that? Does anybody... <laughs> is anybody like, yeah, West Side Story's too old, we need a new one?
1: Who asked for any remake ever? <laughs>
2: <laughs> West Side is a classic, it's
1: fine, it looks great. Give me a Singing in the Rain remake. Why? <laughs> but he's always been around. His whole film catalog has, like you said, shaped my childhood, my adulthood. There's always something I'm referencing that connects to him in a way or another, or his films, to be more accurate. Ryan and I were watching Dreams by Akira Kurosawa, uh, and he was part of the executive producing thing. Again, I, he has some movies that probably I'm not a huge fan, but I you watch them and you're like, this is a phenomenal film, average Steven Spielberg movie is still a phenomenal movie so that's something to keep in consideration and I mean, like you said, he's in the for sure in the rushmore of uh, directors. Yeah, nobody asked for West Side Story, but what are you gonna do if Steven Spielberg? Where you gonna tell the guy, don't do it? <laughs> like, yeah. it's like if he tells me I'm gonna remake your parents' uh, wedding video, we will be like, yes, please go for it. <laughs> nobody needs it. Nobody asked for it, but if you wanna do it, you're Steven Spielberg. He gave me uh, Indiana Jones. He gave me uh, so many great things. Jurassic Park, uh, just. Um, I I couldn't be more uh, thankful for that.
3: Yeah, I, I don't think I realized as a kid the footprint that uh, Steven Spielberg had. Um, like, there's so many films I watched, and I had no idea he was uh, a director or had anything to do with it. Like, he was a producer or anything. Um, and it's just so shocking when you actually realize how much he's actually done behind the scenes. And, of course... In in front, like I think of one of the examples of a movie. I think I was telling Mauricio, like I'm just shocked that to find out it was him, because when I watched it, I didn't I didn't realize. Uh, and it doesn't seem like a Steven Spielberg movie, but it was like uh, Catch Me If You Can with uh, Leonardo and uh and Tom Hanks. Oh,
0: I'm familiar with it.
3: Oh, I know you are, but uh <laughs> I never would have guessed. And I loved that movie before cool. I even knew Spielberg was the director. And there's just countless movies like that where I had no idea he he directed it and i think that's just uh plays on how versatile he is uh he he dives into so many genres and uh, yes maybe his uh, contemporary work isn't as um bombastic as his his earlier work or groundbreaking but he, groundbreaking but he's still like the post was nominated for best picture and is still a fantastic movie uh lincoln uh it might be a little slow for some but it's still a a great piece of uh, uh cinema love it there's just he he's hit success in every decade and uh yeah he's uh he is one of the greatest
2: i'll yeah, i'll answer that question just by a quick list of uh, a resume here that i just scribbled <laughs> <laughs> i'm just going to name off some movies now he didn't direct all of these movies some of them he was uh, well, it's questionable how much involvement he had. He went from sort of a, just an executive producer to uh, some people claim he actually was the director, even though he didn't get credit for it. So uh, just really quickly, uh, Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Poltergeist, E.T., Gremlins, Back to the Future, Temple of Doom, The Goonies, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Hook, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, and Saving Private Ryan. I mean, that's my childhood. (laughs) That's that's an entire generation's childhood right there. Uh, So I think if that
0: doesn't answer your question, I don't know what would.
1: Yep, totally agree.
0: Doctors retire, accountants retire, athletes retire, our parents are gonna retire, we're gonna retire. Should filmmakers, even as huge as a Steven Spielberg or a Martin Scorsese or a Clint Eastwood, should they all retire? Well, I, I, I don't want them to work themselves into
2: the grave. Like if Spielberg's like 97 and trying to, well, there's Eastwood, I guess. Um, no, I, 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 like I said, as long as it's still safe for them to do so, I, I, I don't think they do need to retire unless, like all artists, and I think musicians are the other big category that this applies to, unless they're trying to leave their mark untouched unscathed if they want to leave being totally on top and at the then yeah for sure they need to retire because they will lose their edge they will not be what they used to be they might be something different which is also valuable which is why i say don't retire because it's not like steven spielberg's movies are bad now um but if he wanted his legacy to be just his classics and then that's it then he needed to have retired you know close to 20 years ago um. So that's my answer. No, they're still providing value. Yes, if they want to leave a legendary mark.
0: Yeah, like you just think like, I just wrote down a couple here. These are all actors. I couldn't really think about filmmakers. But like you have a Daniel Day-Lewis announces his last film. He retires. Gene Hackman's been in retirement since Welcome to Mooseport. And, what a way uh, to go. Robert Rhett. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Robert Redford announced his retirement after Old Man the Gun and then he made a special appearance in Avengers Endgame. But he announced he announced his retirement. So I'm just curious, like what's the difference between actor filmmaker? Uh Ryan?
3: Uh well, the difference between actor, and filmmaker, one's in front of the camera, one's behind. Uh I don't know. I I, I look at the example of like uh, Jack Nicholson or something. Uh he was untouchable for like the longest time and then in his older age he it starts showing in his films and it's just it's difficult to be in front of the camera in the spotlight and I guess it's easier for directors or screenwriters to just kind of continue their work in the shadows um so yeah as long as they have the spirit and uh want to keep doing it and have the willpower and everything uh, yeah, more power to them if they want to do that till their last
1: breath. Mauricio, no, I feel like Ryan uh, gave a very good point. Like one thing is someone in front of the camera that is getting old in front of our eyes, and as we experienced with uh, the Irishman, nice try, everybody. <laughs> and uh, it's very different for someone who it's behind the camera. Maybe that's my vision about uh, humanity in general. Is like you never know what someone has to give. And how to say no to the knowledge and experience of someone with a resume like the one Andrew just said? Like imagine all the uh, all the things they have to add to the table to make things even better. Of course, the retirement it's a personal choice uh, that goes along with how's your physical state, your mental state, if you can keep going on. And filmmaking is probably one of the most stressing, demanding things from a artist standpoint it's probably one of the most exhausting ones because you have a team that you depend on 100 days of production but i think like every artist even when they say i'm retired. The art is going to call them back in one way or another. These guys are like master jugglers,
3: and they go through the most stressful things, like Mauricio said, and I just can't imagine these guys saying, yeah, I'm just going to do nothing now. Like, they would probably lose their minds if they were just sitting at home,
1: not creating. Not everybody's George Lucas. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just find it interesting because you have, like, a Quentin Tarantino that has forever announced that he's only going to make 10 films, and I believe he's coming up on number 10. If he ends up retiring after like from the director's chair, I have no idea, but I, I just, uh, the reason I asked the question just because it, it really, it makes me curious, just like in my head, it's like, would you not want to have your swan song? Would you not want to go out, uh, and make like a, and can you imagine like in a world where like Steven Spielberg announced that this is his last film and how big of a movie that would be or if Scorsese did it or or whoever, Clint Eastwood, yeah, he is over 90 and he's still pumping out movies. So I, I just look at that hypothetical world and I, I think that'd be exciting. But at the same time, I look and if you are able to do it, you should be able to do it. And if West Side Story comes out and it's great and it's fine and he's, he's Spielberg's still doing his thing, then I think they have the right to keep doing it as long as they enjoy doing it. And um, I just, I liked the... Uh, when we went and saw Phantom Thread, I'm like, this this was being uh, marketed as Daniel Day Lewis's final film, and I, I like that. So I think in my my quest and to have a you know perfect ending to a perfect movie or a perfect story, I would like that. But then you can make the argument and say, well, what if Spielberg announced that for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and that was his last movie? Oh, then you'd be Jesus. like, oh my god. So I guess there is no answer. It comes down to each individual filmmaker or musician or whatever field uh, of work it is
1: yeah it's like uh, any retirement in any industry or field whatever it is it's up to the person to decide if they're in the condition to keep going or not or people around them like family to be like okay i, I don't think you should keep doing it or you go full kubrick and you go like i'm gonna keep doing this until i can no know more because well there's a I don't know that's the way you are, but doesn't mean they're not going to keep working on a side in another project. They just don't want to be the head, the director, the main guy on top of the whole production. But because, again, it's exhausting, or they feel like they did everything they could do at the moment. So
0: so my last question uh, before we get to some fun questions at the end to wrap this up, i just curious. And I want to start with Dodd because he said something early uh, earlier in the podcast about uh, Nuance. And I'm just curious, uh, for from each of you, uh, what do you think Steven Spielberg's greatest uh, greatest strength uh, is um, in his like just throughout his career? What is what is the I mean, he's got lots of great qualities. Obviously, he does a lot of good things. Uh, but what do you think maybe is in your top of, of stuff that he consistently did throughout, whether it's the first half of his career or his entire career? What would you say uh, it would be his greatest strength, Dodd?
2: I, I would want to say it's a, co- a collection of things which just makes him a good filmmaker. So it's like, why is he a good filmmaker? Because he's a good filmmaker. But if I had to sp- call specific attention to uh, one or two traits, I, 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 can't, I can't do it in one. So the two I'm going to mention are um, shot design, which I think can normally be up to um, a DOP. But I think Spielberg has a hand in that, and he knows how to move that camera. He knows how to do a long take and how to move from one character to the next and have characters come from the background to the foreground back again and to move up and down, um, watch his movies and watch just how many long or one takes he has you don't notice that they're long takes you don't notice that they're one takes because that camera is so dynamic and moving so much even within that it feels like it's two or three different shots all put together in one take so he really knows how to move the camera for emotional effect and then number two is I think characters and working with actors he's like the only actor who's able to get historically been able to get good performances out of child actors and not have them be uh like really annoying people are better at it now with a real sort of naturalistic way of doing it but for a while there Spielberg was like the king of working with kids right and uh, so like the kid E.T. uh short round in uh Temple of Doom the kids in Jaws I think are really good uh, Hook I, I, I could go on and on um and so really relatable characters and really uh poignant camera movements I'd say are his biggest his biggest strengths
0: Right
1: on. Mauricio? Everything that Dot said is what I wanted to say. <laughs> so on top of that, Sorry. just to keep it very short, I I think he is a visionary because it's important to have an idea. Or maybe he doesn't know. Back in the day, he didn't know like Jurassic Park or Joes were going to be what they were, what they become. But I think his perspective to turn something into a blockbuster i think you need some you need to be a visionary to understand what you want and yeah, for me the entire his entire career i think he's been a genius behind how to move the camera and how to show something from different perspective that would be my answer because dodd said most of it right on yeah dodd took it all yeah (laughs) dodd took it all so that's why
0: dodd doesn't go first (laughs) (laughs) i won't
2: answer the next question
0: go sit in the corner dodd (laughs) Very quickly, just a big strength for me is just his ability to make viewers feel and react and enjoy and be scared and be excited. Whatever the movie, whatever the feel the movie's supposed to be. When Indiana Jones is on screen, you're excited. When E.T.'s on screen, you're either laughing or you're crying. When you're in, when you're watching Jaws, you're scared. He has a, a ability to connect with his audience and make them feel exactly how they should in the movie that they're in. I think it's an unbelievable ability. He's done it countless times in his career. And that's the best thing you can, uh, a- a- any filmmaker that can make an audience react is doing their job, in my opinion. I think that's whether it's cry, whether it's scream, mm-hmm. whether it's laugh. Emotions. It, yeah, emotions is, is is a great way to say it, of course. He makes, he knows how to trigger emotion for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
0: we're gonna wrap this up. I got uh, just two more questions, uh, just to have some fun because I'm curious. So I want to know your uh, three underrated Steven Spielberg films that you don't typically see on a top five or top ten list. If you don't have three, you can give one or two or whatever. Just a couple that uh, people don't normally talk about that resonated with you, you love it, uh, and maybe a reason why you love it or or anything to go along with that.
1: Yeah, uh, underrated-wise, it's hard to find an underrated uh, Steven Spielberg film. It's very difficult. Because when you go... But when you go through the names you are like oh my god what am I gonna say like uh temple of doom no um so I I have a main one more than three That's and fun. I really liked it and it was uh war of worlds uh, the war of the worlds for me it was uh I don't know it was fun scary it felt like an old-ish Spielberg film with sci-fi it was a very good remake working with um, Tom Cruise was great and Dakota Fanning and it's a very good scary sci-fi film with a debatable ending I know yeah following that one I don't know I I, I mean everybody knows the Goonies but I, I would say it's probably my top five favorite uh, Steven Spielberg related films because I it was my childhood. I had it in Betamax and then my dad bought it in VHS and I rewatched that thing until I couldn't watch it no more. It's a phenomenal adventure. And I think those two are my my go to films that people might not talk too much about, but still they're great.
0: Right on. Are you good to go there, Ryan? I'm
1: just trying to think of the ones that are like underrated and I'm looking at the
3: list of movies and I'm like, damn. It's a very tough uh, tu- say- it's a
0: very tough list. The whole point is just outside of the obvious ones like Mauricio nailed it where it's like, if you say Raiders of the Lost Ark, then we'll just laugh. Cause like clearly that's not underrated. Just something that might be a little bit outside the box that maybe you have a, uh, a special connection with. I don't know.
3: Well, I do, I do like, I do have one that I think is underrated, but it's in my top three. So I didn't want to like spoil that one. That's fine. Uh, okay. But, uh, yeah, I would have to say then, uh, the lost world, everyone hates that. And, uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Alright, you can cut that out. <laughs> uh, up to you. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Uh, I remember as a kid, I loved it. I loved uh, the dinosaurs in in the city. But uh, yeah, I don't know.
1: Dinosaurs in the city is my favorite TV show. <laughs>
2: I think Whoopi
0: Goldberg was in that, wasn't she?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's a detective with a di- uh, T. Rex. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Partner. That's right. That's it. Yeah. I think that's a very good
0: one. I, a lot of people uh, don't normally talk about the Lost World. I don't hate it. I don't necessarily love it, but um, that's exactly what we're going for here with this uh, with this question. So good job, Ryan. All right. Yay! And Mister Dodd, you can come back from the corner now, Dodd. Are you sure? Am I allowed to talk? <laughs> <laughs> Give us what you got.
2: I've uh, I do have three that I'll list off quickly. I really yep. like uh ryan has mentioned them earlier i really like the post which just came out a couple years ago i do i really i really like lincoln obviously daniel day lewis is uh third best actor oscar i believe and uh my last one is uh, a movie you showed me last year adam which is dual Ooh. Um, which, while I acknowledge has some problems in the middle, uh, it's got some real Spielbergian techniques uh, in, in their infancy, which I really appreciated. So those would be my three. I also have down AI, artificial intelligence, because I think some people say it's really good. But every time I try to watch it, I'm just like, oh, this is a bit of a slog. So mm. I mentioned it without mentioning it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> there you go. So I'll quickly round up mine. I, I agree with Mauricio and Ryan. I think they both mentioned it. It's so tough. Like I was just going through, like, there's like Munich and the Terminal and like there's, there's all these movies that are like, they're not great, but they're not bad. They're kind of in the middle and they're still enjoyable. But my three, uh, I'm going to start off with my number three, Adventures of Tintin. I thought Ooh, was good. a very- With en-
1: Peter Jackson helping. Very too.
0: enjoyable movie. It was his follow-up to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and I'm like- this is what Kingdom of the Crystal Skull needed. It needed some fun, some, and I I mean, like, I don't, I never, I, I think it's based on, I don't even know if it's a book or something else. I have no idea. A TV show.
1: Yeah. It's like a com- uh, like a comic. Yeah. And I'm like, this okay. is
0: awesome. And a great voice cast. You had Daniel Craig and Nick Frost and Simon. Yeah. Pa- like I love, I love Tintin. I thought it was fantastic. No one ever talks about it. Yeah.
1: And the TV show is great. If you're still Tintin teen, teen curious, the TV show is very good.
0: Uh, so my number two is Minority Report. Uh, I think that is a nice. great sci-fi movie. Again, Tom Cruise, Agreed. fantastic. I yes. think the story is interesting and it really makes you think. And um, I just thought it was great. The visual effects are still pretty good. Uh, they stand up. They're not super dated. Tom Cruise is like the action king. He's awesome in it. And I really enjoyed Minority Report. And then my number one is from the same year. And Ryan mentioned it earlier and it's got my boy in it. Catch Me If You Can, it is an awesome, awesome movie, Leo is fantastic, as, as I you know, I always always think he's awesome, but uh, Tom Hanks is great, Christopher Walken was nominated for an Academy Award, he's great as his dad, Catch Me If You Can is so much fun, it's a great story, Leo's kind of an anti-hero in it, he's kind of doing some bad stuff, but we like him, and it's good, Tom Hanks is great, I love, I love Catch Me If You Can. And uh, yeah, so that wraps up the underrated portion. And to wrap this whole podcast up, uh, we'll fire through here. We'll go in the opposite order. So we'll start with Dodd. I want to hear your top three Steven Spielberg movies of all time. Your three favorites. You're going to an island. You can only bring three. You somehow have a DVD player or a Blu-ray player on the island. And you can bring three Steven Spielberg movies. What three are they, Dodd? Go. Go.
2: Well, forgive me, I'm, I'm actually going to take a little bit of time with this answer and you'll understand why as I get into it. So That's okay. Uh, quick Quickly to name them off, my top three are in this order. Number three, uh, as has been discussed, Jaws. Um, I just think it's great. It doesn't have a huge nostalgic piece for me, but I really appreciate it as a film and the uh, filmmaking techniques in it. My number two is, uh, to no one's surprise here in this podcast, E.T. The Extraterrestrial, which has a huge nostalgic factor for me. I loved that movie when I was a kid, even though it uh, terrified me, as Mauricio can uh, <laughs> relate mm-hmm. to. Um, yeah. And then, and it's okay. So, before I say my number one, so here's why I'm going to take a little bit of time. I got, a, I got a phone call on the weekend from my mom saying that uh, my grandfather, her father had passed away. And it was sudden, but not altogether unexpected. He hadn't been well for, for many, many years. Um, and I wasn't gonna say anything and I didn't really think much of it. And as I was thinking about all these Spielberg movies last night in preparation for uh, the podcast, I was going and I, and I, for some reason he popped into my head and I realized, oh my gosh, he loved all of these movies. Now, I'm not going to say that I love these movies because of him, because these are extremely popular movies that probably would have been in my childhood regardless. But it it made me think that this love and excitement for cinema that he had for these movies probably translated to my mom and then probably down to me. My mom has a story of when she was a kid he took her to and probably my aunt to the local theater to go see Jaws and he was so excited about it I think it was probably the re-release of Jaws uh, that came out before Jaws 2 because my mom was would only have been about 10 years old and she loves to tell the story that uh, you know he he spoiled the whole thing because he'd probably already seen it you know he's, all right watch this watch what's going to happen here oh look what uh, the shark's going to come out here and eat this guy She he spoiled everything before it happened and um not only did it terrify, traumatize my mom, who was only 10, it, uh, he, he was blind as a bat. He needed these big, thick glasses in order to see. And when the parts were too intense, he took off his glasses so that he couldn't make out what was happening <laughs> on the screen. Because <laughs> he didn't want anyone to know he was scared. So that, that was his way of, of dealing with it. When I, was, uh, when I was young, he wanted to take me to see Jurassic Park when it came out. My mom thought I was too young, which, I mean, mom, come on, I was seven. I could have handled Jurassic Park. Give me a break. Um, and then when I came to my number one, uh, which is Raiders of the Lost Ark, I, it sort of clicked in my head. That, that was his all-time favorite movie. I, if anyone knows me or has been in my house, I like to take movie posters and have them framed and go up on the walls, as many people do. He had a Raiders of the Lost Ark poster framed above his uh, desk in his office. I keep all my posters in my office. Uh, It's been there my whole life, as far as I can remember. He he loved movies. He loved Hitchcock. I love Psycho. He gave my aunt and uncle uh, a framed poster of Casablanca for a a wedding gift, because he and uh, my aunt had that movie in common. And during the wedding toast, he said, here's looking at you, kid, to my aunt. Uh, when I was a kid, he got me a framed movie poster of E.T. because he knew how much I loved it and it went above my bed. And then that first night it had to come down because it scared the shit out of me <laughs> and I couldn't sleep with it <laughs> above my bed.
1: I so, absolutely understand. <laughs>
2: we replaced it with um, with a Jurassic Park poster. So we swapped out one Spielberg for another. And uh, I'll wrap up with one, one final story. Uh, there's a line in Jaws that uh whenever it comes up my mom says uh, oh your your grandfather always used to say that to me I don't think he got it from jaws I think it was probably just something that dad's uh a, a bad sort of dad joke or quirky thing that dads might say and it was uh she associates it with him and now I probably will too and it's whenever he she was just a little kid and when he wanted some attention or some affection or something he'd say to her come here give us a kiss and uh, I guess I guess that was because he needed it so my three favorites, Jaws, E.T. and Raiders of the Lost Ark, also favorites to my late grandfather, Brian Joseph Dodd. He, uh, he went too soon, but as somebody once said, it's not the years, it's the mileage.
0: Well, we, I, I send my condolences to
2: you and your family, Andrew. That's, that's too bad. Thanks, guys. Not to bring it all down, but I just saw this opportunity and thought I'd just mention something.
0: Now we know we can dedicate this, uh, this podcast to him. Wow,
2: that would be great.
1: Yeah, and honestly, I, I know, it's, uh, again, I'm, I'm sorry to hear I didn't know, and I don't feel like it It brought things down and actually make me uh, very happy to hear those things, because now I know you better, and that explains a lot of things, <laughs> and it's nice always to hear about someone that had a good influence and someone that uh, means a lot, to, a lot to you, like you mean a lot to me, so thanks for sharing that, and I would say I did have, and I'm gonna jump in my answer as well, I'm... I did have a lot of influence around me as well when it comes to movies and again that shows the, the extension of the impact Steven Spielberg might have in a, not only our childhood but our parents' um, adulthood. The films that I liked uh, came to be because someone in my family brought them to me or took me to the theaters to watch like uh, mostly from my parents and my sisters. All those movies create an impact on me. Uh, my grandparents were already kind of old and they weren't into watching movies or anything and, yeah, I guess my parents and my sister fill up my afternoons with awesome movies, and among them, there are my three favorite of Spielberg, and no particular order, I must say, because it changed with the years, and every time I see one, I'm like, oh, this is my favorite, but then I see another one, oh, no, this is my favorite, um, but definitely... Like uh, your grandpa, Dodd, I have uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark in that top three. Uh, That movie changed me. I don't know how many times I tried to jump out of furniture in my house imitating (laughs) Indiana Jones. How many uh, moments of anger I gave to my dad cutting, like, stanchion cords to have a whip. Uh, Who knows what other childish bad behavior I did because of that awesome adventure film that it would just... Every time it was up on TV on Sunday uh, afternoon, it was the best day. Followed by that, Jurassic Park, because, I mean, I don't think I have to give many reasons that thing scared the shit out of me. It, it was just so phenomenal, so realistic, so believable. Everyone's so uh, lovable in a way, some of the characters. And we met Jeff Goldblum, for Christ's sake, <laughs> the man itself. <laughs> How not to love that. And uh, Well, you, you did more than just meet him. Oh, oh, baby. <laughs> He went, he went full in. I still don't know what happened. <laughs> Anyways, and um, the the third one, it was uh, Nostalgia, I think. The Goonies, for me, it's a big one. It's just, it's so fun. If I was crazy with Raiders of the Lost Ark jumping around in my house, uh, I was stealing jewelry from my mom to have the pirate treasure built up in my room. That's how insane it was. So I would say those three were my favorite and still are because they shape a lot of my imagination and help me to become as crazy as I am right now. So.
0: Great list. All right. Let's see what you got, Ryan.
1: Oh, you guys. You guys are going to make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
3: I I, I don't have any cute stories or anything, especially to deal with Spielberg movies. Just make Uh, one up. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Fake it. Fake it until you make it. (laughs) (laughs) Spielberg's
1: actually my father. can you buy us better microphones
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you never introduced us to him uh,
3: never bastard <laughs> all right so my my third spot's gonna be the one that uh i think is underrated um which actually adam you already brought up uh it's minority report uh, i really like that movie it's a sci-fi film and it's great uh, yeah i love the whole concept and i thought it was really cool yeah it was just one of those action films sci-fi action films that i loved uh, as a kid yeah okay i'm gonna go number two uh Totally, uh, I I don't think it's been mentioned yet, uh, and very serious. uh, Schindler's List.
1: Yeah. So. Talk about bringing it down. Oh, Jesus (laughs) Christ! Can we talk again about your grandpa? (laughs) Cheer up a little bit.
2: Yeah, he never talked about Schindler's List.
3: Nobody does. (laughs) (laughs) That's the problem. Okay, right. Continue. (laughs) Number one is just the the good old fun uh, Jurassic Park. Yay. Yeah. And for all the reasons said already. And uh, yeah, one of the best uh, blockbusters, I think, of all time.
1: Amen. Well
0: yeah so like now I feel bad because like well, I'm leaving all these movies on like you guys have uh, mentioned a few of them like I, I, this was a terrible question for me to ask you guys because we have to leave all of these gems off of this list like like I love Jurassic Park and I love Raiders and they're not even on
1: my list so <laughs> are you gonna say warhorse <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I just, <laughs> number one, baby. I
0: just want to first say before I say my three, I just want to uh, thank you guys all for for joining me for uh, for this Spielberg and Jaws talk. It, it seems like uh, the the common uh, thing we we have in common here is um, that Spielberg has had an impact on all of us, and we all between the stories, uh, everyone has just shared it. It's really nice, and I'm I'm honored to be able to uh, discuss uh, this with you guys for you know a little bit over an hour and um uh, my number three was very tough it was the last spot i filled and it's one that hasn't been mentioned so i'm happy uh saving private ryan i think this film is fantastic and i I could go on about a million things but my number one thing for saving private ryan outside of the visuals and the practical effects and the war scenes and all this amazing groundbreaking stuff that he did the characters in saving private ryan it's a it's an interesting mesh of you get to know them but you don't really know them because they're all strangers to each other and they had the beautiful little uh, build up they did with um, Tom Hanks's character as a school teacher where they're betting on what he did for a living and where he came from then you have the great, Tom Hanks speech when he finally says what he does. And he goes on talking about, uh, about going to save Ryan and uh, what it means to him. And it, the, the characters are just phenomenal. And then you eventually meet Matt Damon, who's great coming off of Good Will Hunting. I think it's Saving Private Ryan is a fantastic film. And uh, the, uh, the, the, the storming the beaches in Normandy opening, it's not technically the opening scene, but uh, the D-Day recreation is phenomenal. It's like 20, 25 minutes. It's just, it's it's unbelievable filmmaking. Uh, my number two has been mentioned by my good pal Dodd. Uh, e. T. Uh, very nostalgic for me. I love that film. Me and Jamie actually just watched it. Uh, it still stands up. Practical effects are great, but again, the characters. Uh, it's interesting that it's it's done so well through the the perspective of the kids. The adults take the back seat in the film. We get to share this journey with them, and I think it's so well done. All of them are great in the movie, and there's a lot of good messages. Uh, it, within the film that is good for a, maybe a young kid to see. I know the movie's scary and I was terrified just like you guys. But if you go beyond that, there's a great message about acceptance in that movie. And I think we need it now, especially where everyone's equal. And I think E.T. says that very well, where you have this young boy, Elliot, who doesn't, you know, he doesn't see someone different. He sees a friend uh, and they help each other. And I think that's an amazing, anyone can help anyone. We're all in this together. So I think that's a powerful message that will resonate for the rest of time. Uh, so ET's great. And um, nine number one, which comes to no surprise and it'll wrap up this podcast perfectly. Uh, I'm going with Jaws, my second favorite movie of all time. And there. what else can we say that hasn't already been said? Jaws is great. I think it'll be studied for, for centuries. Uh, Art from Adversity, a movie that overcame a lot of obstacles and you know what all these movies have in common? John Williams' score, another great score. So I think that wraps this up perfectly. So Saving Private Ryan, ET, and Jaws are my top three, and I look forward to going to this island with those three movies because I'll be entertained for a long time.
3: Just stay out of the water. Yeah, and
0: I, I, I won't. <laughs> I, I won't be going in the water. But uh, yeah, so that wraps up uh, our uh, episode number five. I hope everyone had a good time listening. Does anyone else have anything else to say before we uh, we shut her down?
1: Cheers to Bruce.
0: Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> so um and obviously to uh to dodd's uh grandfather so uh our condolences to uh to the dodds uh for that and uh thanks for sharing that story and um yeah to you know to to mr spielberg who impacted all of us i think that's very clear thanks and if... dad yeah <laughs> and, and thanks to you
2: adam for uh to moderating
1: it was great thank you, you so creep. much i loved it
0: so, yeah, uh, Mauricio, can you uh, send us off with your little, uh, uh, where are we on? We're on Anchor, right?
1: Yes, you can find us on Anchor. That's where I'm uploading everything right away. And then we're also on Google Podcasts, um, Spotify, iTunes Podcast. And we also have a Facebook and we have an Instagram. We also have a Twitter, but I'm terrible at Twitter. So Facebook and Instagram will be my suggestion. And, uh, yeah, thank you. And to quote
0: ET to add this, be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. Thank I, you, Adam. I'm stopping. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> bye. Bye, bye.